carrying on about the tax issues is mm-hmm. not in our run sheet, but it's a hot button and it's important. And I can't think of a better person to uh, put the question <laughs> to. Um, it's a fundamental question, and that is probably the source of 90% of the consternation that we have in government, with government, and by government. I think it represents another bright line um, uh, you know, a trajectory uh, that separates, you know, uh, you know that, that illustrates you know, a dichotomy here. Um, right. You know, you well, they always come back and say, but we need. Yeah, even uh, if it's the government who is stealing, it's still stealing. So and exactly. I wrote in a recent editorial just because, you know, just because, you know, someone who's stealing from you by, you know, by, you know, solicitation and writing doesn't sign it. You know, there's not a big seal that says train robbery agency of uh, central Arizona or it doesn't say, you know, the usurists of Gulf Coast region of uh, Texas and Louisiana. It doesn't say that the nope. best, most easy way to do it is to put a big old seal on it that says none. You know, that ham-fisted, sanctioned ruler of your soul. Well, then you have to listen to that, right? Well, the thing is, is that's all... Pro- you don't. You really don't. You don't have to listen to that. It's still... And you know what? Your reactions, anyone's reactions in, pe- in good faith, peaceable reaction to that, is constitutionally protected. And it's a winning argument. Of course it is. Oh, I've, I've been well involved with that nonsense. And I, when but I see, that, and I see the, the fire stations around all. here in and, Phoenix. And I, my argument is it, it, it's stolen money. It doesn't matter what you do with stolen money. It will never be untainted. And that's why one of, the, one of my platforms, I want to eliminate all forms of personal income tax and all forms of personal real estate and property tax. Have you ever? Period. Have you, have you ever um, thought? I mean, I've considered, you know, shy of, you know, micro crunching of the numbers. If you give the labor force the money that it's earned, which comes in the form of script, you mm-hmm. know, it's a symbolic currency. Right. If you give them 100 percent of what it has earned, we have a, a big. Rich, innovative, happy, clean, and showered proletariat. Absolutely. And, you know, if, if we got rid of those taxes, it's and I mean way. make it illegal for anyone to tax them, which I will take on the federal government on this and, and protect citizens from they don't have to file a federal income tax either. I'm not just talking state. It's about protecting the individual's. That's where all of the theft comes from, and, and we're allowing our leaders to steal and then expecting the populace not to follow suit. That's why we've become so corrupt as a society. It's, it's okay to steal a little bit uh, here and there, and, and you get the people. I, I say, look, just you want those programs that you want? Why don't you make them voluntary? Because socialism is never voluntary. It is always mandatory, and there's a reason for that somebody wants to participate, they should have full right. You can go ahead and participate, but just don't tell me I have to be a member of that club. Yeah, and I think, I think it represents a misunderstanding of, the, of the, the agency that is the dollar. It's a misunderstanding of the currency for what it is. It has mm-hmm. the value unto itself, and the people who have issued it, based on, you know, or, or whoever has, you know, whatever... You know, the owners of the Federal in, Reserve, it has which no, own, they own the G20 economies. Most people think the Federal Reserve only owns or has anything to do with our government. Oh, no, it doesn't. It owns all of the G20 economies. Why do you think we, we wiped out Libya 
It was to get, they, were, they didn't have a central bank. Why did we go after Iraq? They didn't have a central bank. There used to be 11 countries that were not part of the Federal Reserve System in the world. Mm. Today there are two, and I think it's Cuba and Russia. So, I mean, I mean just to bring it, make it local. Exactly. I mean, it I'm has nothing to do with you hear, when you hear Arizona. And gold um, and cryptocurrencies, the whole shot. Yeah. When you hear Arizona legislators talk about or administrators talk about, you may hear administrators talking about this at the school district. That's a problem. But when the legislators talk about how they can't balance the school budget, that's a real problem because the legislature is are is the there's you know they're incumbent to understand what the tool is and how it's applied and to understand well the dollar actually has no value in and of itself. It has it zero is a tool. value. So 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 there's you know and in light of that, well, you don't have to take it all back from the from from your people who are invested in your currency, the laborers. You know, or their children. You don't have to. That's that's their tool to go. You know, that's well, when what John makes Kennedy, your job so easy. As a, as before a poli- he died, as a, as he introduced official. the United States note, which came out of the American Treasury, and it was the same as the Federal Reserve note, except that this one didn't have interest piled on it. That was the difference, and some people say that's why he was killed. Uh, the same thing. Lincoln did the same thing. Uh, and, and what do they have in common, right? Uh, but the interesting thing is, is that people, they, under, they know this, they seem to understand it, but they won't act upon it. They don't want to upset the apple cart. No. But yep. like a, a former governor said to me, he came up to me and said, Mr. Hess, yeah, you, let me get this straight. You want to become governor of Arizona so that you can cut the legs of power out from under the very office that you hold. And without hesitation, I said, why, yes, ma'am. And, and she, she said, you libertarians, you just want to rock the boat. And I said, no, ma'am, we've got to drill. We're going to sink this boat. We need a new boat. And and she harumphed off from me, which I thought was hysterical because it was the only time I'd ever been harumphed off of. <laughs> and I, I chased her down and said, could you, could you harumph me again? That was fun. And, of course, that just made her mad. I won't, I won't um, ask you who it was. No, no don't. <laughs> that's, that's not uh, how she's we, a sweet little lady. That is not how uh, we act. Uh, no, it, it's about control. And they, yeah. they think that I want control of other people's lives, and I don't. Yeah, you so, know, it's so, like I mean, they, those darn libertarians are the hobbits of the political world. <laughs> and, and if you understand the story that J.R.R. Tolkien put together, here are the hobbits, they just minded their own business, peaceful little society in the Shire. Yeah, yeah. They saw this cloud coming over all of the world that was overtaking them. And, and, and it was very much a libertarian book. That was what he was talking about. And he, they understood that if they allow this cloud, is not going to accept them and leave them alone, so that in order for them to be free, they had to make sure everybody else was free. And, the, and they risked his peaceful little group, who weren't warlords or anything like that, they still risk life and limb to get that ring of power. And, and, and people say, oh, they wanted the ring of power. Yeah, but what do they want to do with it? Throw it away. They wanted to throw it into the depths of Mordor so that nobody could have the ring of power. Mm-hmm. That is, uh, it's a beautiful analogy for what the libertarian movement is about. And it's, we're the only growing movement in the country, uh, a, a political party too. I mean, it, it grew 20% last year. And the Republicans and Democrats are bleeding memberships. And, of course, you get the tacticians who make a living off of the political structure. And just last year, just last year, uh, in, they brought out the, in the middle of the night, night before the close of special session, 
there was a bill called HB 2305. And this was an innocuous three-page bill that said you had to have uh, uh, notary signatures on the back of your signature petitions to get on the ballot. No big thing. I was for it. But in the middle of the night, the Republican leadership got a call from Nathan Sproul and Karl Rove saying, you will add these amendments, four mm. other bills mm. that couldn't get any traction that sought to control all of our elections to make it just the two-party system. To push they wanted to push libertarians off the ballot, like one of our legislators, Mesnard, was caught on tape saying, we've got to get those libertarians off the ballot. They're spoiling our races. So that's a violation and, of procedure with respect to, to meetings right there is what that is. Right, and, and, it was, and they got something, and it, vote, it was voted down, 13 to 16. And, and the funny thing was, somehow they came up with this unicorn that never happens. It's called a reconsideration vote, and it was in between those two hours uh, that Mesnard was caught on tape explaining what this was really about. It was push those libertarians off the ballot. Uh, and then it, it, they stomping on toes and kissing some butts in the process. Then it turned around on the, on the reconsideration vote and went through 16 with 13 opposed. Then the governor, like an idiot, signed it. And, and, we, and I promised Eddie Farnsworth, I'm usually a very stalwart guy generally, but I called him up and I said, Eddie, what are you doing? And, and I said, I want to hear you defend the indefensible. And here's a guy I've always had respect for. Uh, and he was saying, well, you cost us the Kirkpatrick race, and the guy gave us Kirsten Cinema, got rid of Russell Pierce, and blah, blah, about five or six things. And I, I, I was like, I was flabbergasted, and I threatened to take it to the ballot. And that was funny because uh, he, he laughed. He, you know, there had been over 30 tries in 30 years, and nobody had ever been successful in taking a citizen's referendum to the ballot. We called together, or I called together, the most diverse, largest coalition in Arizona history. Everybody from the Greens, the Democrats, the League of Women Voters, about 39 other groups, the, the Goldwater Institute, Sheriff Richard Mack, conservative Senator uh, Karen Johnson. I mean, it was everybody, and half of the rank and file, the ones with ethics. They were basically trying to win by exclusion. Well, they, they tried to bribe me out of it, and I, I was called down to the legislature. You want to discuss it? A guy named Bob Thorpe. And I, told, I brought the chairman of the party with me, and, and I told him what was going to unfold, and he was going to try to peel us off of our coalition by promising us they might repeal the part that affected libertarians uh, you know, later on, like, yeah, I cross my fingers kind of thing. And I said, Bob, he said, we'll give that to you. And I said, Bob, I don't want you to think you gave me anything. I'd rather take it from you. And once they understood that it was a big movement, it was big, and it was, it was statewide, and what happened was that the, the reporters kept bugging me trying to get numbers, and I had to sandbag them because I know it went right back to the leadership. Well, they saw that we were getting close, and they started trying to buy our signatures, for twice the money that we paid the people to gather them. What a mess. Cost them about a half a million bucks. Uh, then, and, and that really, that burned my butt, I'll tell you what, because I just hate duplicity and cheating. I am not, well, I look, will not I mean, tolerate it. So what came of it was that we, we ultimately, when we turned in, not 87,000 signatures that are required, mm -hmm. which in itself was ridiculous, mm -hmm. and that's why other people haven't been able to do it. We turned in 147,000 signatures, and they were supposed to be turned in on September 12th of last year. 
Well, we found out, because I have friends in, in, the, in both parties, they said, hey, they're going to try to shut down the Secretary of State's office so you can't turn them in. Ha ha, the whole thing's been a flop. Well, I called the group together and said, be very quiet. Do not tell the press at all. We're going to turn them in a day earlier, which would be on September 11th, by the way. Gave us an extra speaking point. Uh, and we turned in 147,000 signatures. It was going to the ballot. There was no question. They were certified. Ken Bennett, the Secretary of State, uh, certified it. It was going to the ballot, and their lack of integrity and ethics was going to be on display. So what did the little sissy politicians do? That same 16, group of 16 repealed their own law that they said was so necessary just a couple of months earlier. This is the kind of pansy politics we've got to get rid of, well, and that's what I hope to do. And, and now that's the only reason I'm running. Mr. I, I had already decided I was not going to run this year, and that, that, just, that was the impetus to make me decide, yes, somebody's got to stand up. It it's, it's illustrates, I should say, the importance of local voting down at the, at the precinct mm -hmm. level. Um, you know, because in terms of common law, all right, in terms of the way the wind blows, if none of the representative, you know, uh, non-censured Republican or Democrat or any partisan, um, you know, agents or members of the caucus or, are, are around like happened to be here in Palmaire with me, um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, something goes terribly wrong and it's just a house of cards and it's all to protect local partisans, corporate interests. And they're not here to protect. It really does. It does you know, even if you didn't vote for who won. You know, it's mm -hmm. still um, you still like, I, you know, I'm a member of a service group, you know, and I go down on on the primary election day. I say, you guys, we all live right here. That's why we're all here. And <laughs> today's the you know, I'm telling you, stand advised. Today's the primary election. You think, you know. So at least then you've met and know who the politically active people are in your precinct. Right. Okay. So if anything does go wrong, do you think, do you think, you know, is Mr. Pierce going to be over here in the Palmer precinct with his third? No, he's not going to be here with his rifle. Probably he's going to be somewhere up on his hill. So right. he doesn't necessarily represent in terms of Kamala and who represents who. If even if you didn't vote for who won, this is why I think a third party. Uh, you know, situations such as as the, you know, the Libertarian Party movement with capital mm -hmm. is important. Because just because you don't vote for the winner doesn't mean that you haven't voted for the only people who care about you and your rights and the only people who would actually respond if there was some sort of exigent situation politically or civilly. So that's critically. And I guarantee you, you know, say so like, okay, so some third party, you know, uh, political situation caused Mr. Pierce to be out of office and be replaced with Miss Cinema. Well, I guarantee right. you, Mr. Pierce is corporate, incorporate interests are all still perfectly in place and he has just as much political sway as he could have ever wanted or dreamed of having when he sat in office it, 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 when you see the inside politics this really is the wild west uh, and the vitriol and the mis, miscommunication uh, you know, of, of who we are I, I love it when people try to tell me what a libertarian believes well you libertarians you believe blah 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 I'm going, the reason you don't understand it is because it was explained by somebody who was not a libertarian. That's why they've they've already blemished what they told you it was, and so there's a lot of misunderstanding. Uh, we're just regular people. We're the hobbits hanging out, leaving other people alone. Well, there's a place for corporate interests, and it's in the corporations. Exactly. The, you know, the old old money is, you know, in its proper place. And be quiet. You know, you and, don't you don't have to sit uh, at the helm. And I think that 
you know, you don't have to have to sit at the helm of public government necessarily. Go off and, you know, I mean, that's a, you, they're doing two jobs, you know, and, and it causes them to do a poor job at both of them, uh, so to speak. That's a broad statement, but but uh, there's a there's a realm for that, for that those operations, you know. There's a completely different horse, completely different stripe. Uh, regarding the courts, uh, mm-hmm. I think we've just, I may gloss over this. We kind of already talked about constitutionally affirmed rights with respect to who's put upon to enforce them, and we gave a pretty good. Our, I we talked about a pretty good um, example regarding SB was it 1070, where I'd, which one with the refusal of service. Uh, that was you know, 1062. Yeah. Okay. With the refusal of service. So that's a question I'm going to extricate. I suppose. From this, I mean, I guess I'll read the question. Generally, you've seen it, and I've seen it. The reader hasn't heard it. Uh, I, expe- I expect the, the, excuse me, the listener hasn't heard it. I expect the listener will find it to be having already been sufficiently answered by our discussion about refusal of service with respect to local enforcement of law and rule of law uh, in a constitutional context. Generally, what are the roles, limits, and applications of a court system in this country today? And regarding well, they're the, supposed to be a non-biased uh, arbitration. Sure. That's what it's supposed to be, but they don't work that way, and it's it's pushed into this whole idea of precedent law, which I have respect for. But when you're talking precedent statutory law, it becomes a whole different ball game. I mean, I saw a, a man who I happen to know, and not very well, but I know him. Uh, I saw him being convicted of a murder when uh, he was actually sitting at a stoplight, and another guy came up to his window of his car, got out of his car. He was behind him in the road at a stoplight, came up to his truck and, and started beating him up, started hitting him because yeah. his window was open. And there was a gun on the uh, console, and the other guy reached for it, but uh, the guy I know was a little faster. Yeah. And they railroaded him into that being a murder charge. And I think there's not even a question in my mind, no, no. just from the basic basics that uh, it wasn't, it, it was self-defense very clearly, you know, and, and I saw that. That's why we've got to have a means to extricate these people, the victimless crime people, you know, out of jails. And that's, that's the appeal I make to people is, is like, you know, you get caught smoking a joint, uh, and they're going to send you away, and they're going to say you were negligent to your children, you were smoking a joint and playing video games. And then, so the, the answer, their answer is, well, take you away from your kids again, forcing you into negligence of your children, and put you in jail on the taxpayer's dime that will eventually cost the taxpayers something to the tune of a million dollars because you smoked a joint. We have to pay for your health care, your, your room and board, your incarceration, your litigation. But what people also don't consider is 80% of the time we're going to put your family on welfare because they've taken the breadwinner away, sure. and now we get to pay for their health care and their living expenses. Well, they shouldn't be sitting around smoking joints, but that's my no. opinion, and I'll say that all day. But I don't but want to pay. That's a cultural you know, thing. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a completely different argument. I think it illustrates that I can sit here and say, hey, in my heart, I believe that this parent shouldn't be sitting around smoking joints, playing video games. Uh, and at the same time, I can also tell you that in terms of, you know, uh, pers- in I terms can of the show you judges on, and just, lawyers and politicians who get high today, uh, you know, and, and it's they're functioning heck the last four presidents for crying out loud. So tell me it's going to ra- ruin your life. Yeah, you you know that's well, not you know, it. It's you the know, cultural side. Barry, not in my navy. Okay. <laughs> um, regarding electoral procedure in the state of Arizona. Um,
you know, there's nothing like some, um, I can think of some more proactive, more effective ways of uh, substance abuse recovery work um, is hard work. And you mm -hmm. have to be innovative when you do it. Um, you know what the most effective anti-drug campaign has ever been in this country? Go and work in the sun and, you know, really, you know, I don't know. I, I'm sorry. No, Nancy Reagan. Smart answers. <laughs> Just say no. Yeah. Drug use went down terrifically. And, the, and it didn't cost us any money. It didn't cost us any money. That was the problem. Somebody wanted to interdict and say, I can make money on this. And that's how we got this expanding drug war that kills 1,100 innocent people every freaking year by these SWAT teams going to the wrong house and shooting them up and killing them and old ladies and all kinds of nonsense. Well, look, and if people are, if the government has stolen the very system that compensates laborers with its symbolic currency, then what other mm -hmm. job is there? It's, it's, a, it's a problem. If people could keep the money that is valueless but for the system that they're you know, potentially vested in, then they wouldn't right. have any need to go sell Yayo. But Yayo is like gold. You know, Drugs it are a, a commodity. So, the fastest-growing segment of government yeah, is the prison and, system. So, so like, and also what fascinates me about narcotics trafficking, as you know, I'm, a, you know, I'm a media scholar. And so I'm involved and fascinated, well, interested in professionally and academically, historically, you know, the, the custody of information and the distribution of information and the, you know, and the, the you know, in the meaning of, the, you know, carriage, the content carrier. So that, that, you know, a geographical footprint with respect to marketing and, sure. and, and so, so any sort of logistical, like, you know, and I'm, I'm very mindful. I mean, I, I have certain policies in this household and personally regarding what I'll, you know, I have certain, I have certain blanket rules regarding, you know, I won't, you know, my diet, for example. Um, so. And you have absolute right to control your personal self. Sure, but, the, uh, but, but you, you know, you the funny see? thing is, is, is these proponents of the drug war, you know, nonsense, which is just a militaristic action against the citizens, is that now the facts are coming out. And we're finding out that the government has held all the patents, for instance, on medical cannabis, marijuana. They've, held, they've known that it has so many incredible uses for the body, uh, everything from curing cancer to, you know, Coleman PS, uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome. Uh, it's amazing, and there's like 50 different things they physically affect. The government has known it, and the reason that they have prohibited it is very clear. They want to protect the pharmaceutical companies who they're not looking for a cure. They're looking for a cure that they can control and profit off of. And, and profiteering, they can't profit is, a, off profiteering of is a kind of racketeering, and it's a crime. And, and that was what I was saying it, about marketing. I mean, it's, it, you'd have, you, it's very apparent regarding mm -hmm. what the ley lines of black market uh, drug trafficking are and the social factors among the environment. Okay? Look what and, happened in Colorado. Yeah. Now the kids, the, the youth amongst the youth is dropping. And then people are going, well, well, wait a minute, but now it's legal, it's easier to get. Well, yeah, it's not cool anymore. Yeah. That's what. Yeah. That's what's going on. That You prohibit something, you automatically create a black market. And, and now, of course, they're trying to dumb down the American population with the silliness called Common Core. And the whole rationale behind it is so that if you were a student and you moved from Arkansas to Alabama, that you would be taught the same thing. <laughs> Sounds good, right? 
Sounds sounds interesting. Sounds like a well, that's what destroys sort or a school system. Yeah, is homogeneity, uh, and, and that's what they don't understand. What took us in the 1960s to be number one in education in the world, undisputed, no question about it, was competition. We used to be able to say my school's better than your school, and we could back it up academically, scholastically, athletically. Nowadays, with this Common Core nonsense. All the kids can say is, my school's just like yours. And the problem is that it takes away competition. It takes away innovation. It takes away any kind of growth and imagination. If you want to destroy a nation, destroy the imagination of its youth. And that's exactly what this stuff does. I want to see schools that excel right next to the ones that are doing badly. So the ones that are doing badly, if held accountable on the local level, like you say, they, they can say, we better modify our behavior to let's copy what they've got. And that's, it's a, a dynamic process that will never stop if we are looking at education. Because I've always defined education very clearly as being, here's, here should be our goal, to graduate competent young men and women capable of going out into the world and making their own way without ever burdening anyone else. I have an, That's what education is. I have an eight-year-old, and it's and and I have found that regardless of what the you know general federal threshold policy is regarding public schools, that it is mm-hmm. typically what makes the difference is where we are and how well they understand the administrators and the teachers and staff understand their job and what they're doing. So I've right. seen basically this you know in the same. You know, on the same continent, in the same, with the wind blowing the same direction, I've seen some school districts fail miserably with respect to my particular case. And then I've seen some school districts do fantastic. So it, right. it, it strikes me that Common Core should be kind of like the war on drugs. Back when it was just say no and that's all it was and, mm-hmm. and, and pay attention to some effort. You know, maybe there's some sort of effort to stop all the cocaine from coming up from South America, which is essentially caused because of a lack of parity in the global economy. But just say no meant just say no. Then it kind of got hijacked or bastardized, the words you and I used earlier, and it meant something totally different. Well, also Common Core, to me, I hear it, and it probably means just so that record-keeping can be uniform for, like, say, an army brat who has to move around a lot. Or if you want to, let's say, go do homeschool for a while, you got the Common Core parameters. So so the driver of the RD slash science teacher slash baseball coach can make sure that he hits all the high points so that he can reintegrate seamlessly when they get parked somewhere about the time you're, you know, in the eighth grade and the child enters back into school. That's what mm-hmm. common means. Oh, it, I don't well, there's know a reason that over 30% of, of our government school teachers either homeschool or private school their own children. There's a reason. Those are the thinking teachers. Uh, you know, they, they understand. Homeschoolers, for crying out loud, they're the ones who take all te- top ten spots in all academic con- competitions and scholastic competitions. All top ten spots. Now even the private schools are pushed out of it. And that has to say something to a parent who honestly cares about their kids and their kids' education. It's up to you and I on that local level. That's what keeps our local schools good is when you say, hey, over in that other district, they're doing much better. Uh, you guys better get on a stick here. And, and that's, but we're not. We have completely disassociated ourselves. Uh, well, when I was a kid, we used to have something called the PTA, the Parent Teachers Association. And parents, I remember my mom would go in there and scream and yell and jump up and down. And the funny thing is things changed. Yeah. Things got better under that system. 
Now it's the PTO, the parent-teacher organization, and you've got to go through all the riffraff and the levels and all this stuff. It doesn't. You can yell and scream as a parent all day long, and they're just either going to poo-poo you or they're going to take your kid out of their school and say, here, go, get out of here. Yeah, or worse. Uh, they're going to dismiss you because you're not like all the rest. Sure, or worse. It's um, um, my son's lucky to have me. And, it, and it, yeah. for me, it, it for me at Madison School District, it is the PTO, and it meets on our school at second Tuesday every month over at six o'clock up here at Madison Heights. And I what go. power do they have? Huh? What power over curriculum and and goings on in the school do they have? Well, I say this: everybody in there in the staff. I mean, really, when you get down to what disconnects have left. Every, you know, that's what you've got to work with. That's kind of like I mentioned earlier, mentioning that it was the general election, the primary election coming up at, at a service mm-hmm. group that I that I that I regularly meet and sit as an officer on the on, on the home group board. You go in there and whether or not people know or believe or agree with the fact that basically you are the people who are here. So you're in charge because no one else cares and no one else is here and no one else is coming, you know, yep. except for maybe some piece of paper in some other state that says, no, you know, you screw it up this way. You don't, you know what I mean? At some point, sure. everybody has to figure out, hey, you know, you kind of have to take a risk, you know, and you have to, you have to like, you may have to disobey a law. Right? Exactly. And, and in order to save yourself and save your children. I saved this last question for last. Um, well, first, did I ask you about partisan balloting, right? Did I, did I ask that already, Mr. Hess? Yeah, well, we, we should talk, talk a little it. bit about that because... You know, one of the, the big games that are being played, and the media plays this a lot. Oh, incident, let me finish up on that. I want to say what makes the difference for your child is your appreciation for education, for learning for the sake of learning. Mm. That's what makes all the difference. You, you can give that to your students or to your child. That's what they're going to do. They're going to be curious, and you're obviously curious. You're always studying stuff, and that's good. Well, my professor described it as the executive transfer. When it's such time that a student um, determines himself or herself to be academically hungry and takes over the helm of his own intellectual um, venture. And right. The government schools should only be teaching kids how to think, not what to think. Right. And they're trying to teach them what to think right. through beyond, this common core nonsense. And beyond the, beyond the executive transfer, as, as mentioned by, you know, by Professor Mueller, um, all of this other stuff becomes, you know, much of it, much of the, much of the gauntlet is then mooted. Well, of course, I'm not going to mm-hmm. listen to that because I'm not going to decapitate myself intellectually. You know, I'm a smart ninth grader or whatever. Right. Uh, uh, that sort of thing. I so, got. I left high school after my halfway through my junior year and went to college instead. Yeah. Uh, just because it was boring. Uh, and and I I was very fortunate. Uh, top of my class, president of my class, honors everything. You know, in college, president or captain of several sports teams and different associations, and well, even student us. politics. Yeah. Uh, it was it, uh, you know because I was brought up in a family where you learn because you want to learn, not because you can get a piece of paper that said you sat your butt in a chair for 180 days. Right. Uh, that's why I want to go to competency testing that anybody can take. I don't care where you get your learning. I just want to know what you're capable of doing. And that's, I think, fundamentally an approach that will change everything. will take us from last place in the nation, where Arizona is now, uh, to first place. And incidentally, we're in competition for last place with Washington, D.C., where they spend more money by far 
per student than any other district in the country. It's certainly an education problem. Um, and, sure and, it is. And I try to do my best to do my duty mm-hmm. to help. Uh, last question. I, I wanted to throw that in, and you were talking partisanship, <laughs> and I did want to mention you know, that the media has portrayed this idea of a wasted vote. And, and that's become the, the, well, it's less now because people are more willing to waste their vote because they don't want to vote for the other guys. Yeah. Um, but the, the whole misnomer is that you can accept a lesser evil. Well, which one's worse? I tell people that what you should do when you walk into the polling place is your, your whole first notion should be to write NOTA, N-O-T-A, none of the above, on every race. And you go down the list, and you should fill them in for ev- fill that in for every place you don't actively support that candidate. No you want to see some you want to see some candidates humbled. This is how to do it, because you'll see their real support if people would do that, and you'd see that they only have 10 percent of the vote, not 60 percent of the vote, which they have now. And because here's one of the things that happened after the last race, 2000 that was in 2010. There was a poll that showed up, and it was a good poll. It was done in all corners of the state. I was second choice to 80% of the voters, and 90% of that group said they did not vote for me because of the perception that I could not win. Now, if they had not had that perception, it would have been the biggest landslide in the United States history. And it was incredible to me to see that people are so deluded and so afraid. They go, well, it's a wasted vote. Well, I'm telling you, that I don't care if you only have two candidates. There's wasted votes if you're going on who just wins. Uh, you know, you know, basically, there's always going to be one of them is a wasted vote because only one gets to take office. Well, I... And all that whole thing, that lesser evil thing does, is it takes your vote away from the pile that you believe in and it artificially inflates the other guy's pile while artificially under-inflating your own. So that these candidates get up and they think they've got all this support, which they do not have. And, and you contributed to it, but at the same time you hurt your own cause because I can guarantee you, I don't care win, lose, or draw, the number of votes that I get is going to send a clean, clear message to whoever does get in. And even if it's not the winning total, it's going to influence how they act because they will have a realistic view of what's happening out there in the voting spheres. And even if you're voting for the non, if you end up voting, if it's not a wasted vote, I mean, typically, and and, and if you've met your, um, um, you know, the elector, that goes a long way. And I, mm-hmm. a, I mean, I'm a special case, I guess, you know, I've, because I've, some of the ones I've met, I've interviewed, and that's different. So I've gotten to ask more, and I've gotten a longer hour and a half audience with them, for example. Yeah, you but get if to you, know But us. I mean, meet the people who are operating in your local precinct. I mean, those are the people who win, lose, or draw are the ones who matter when, as, you know, democratically something is enjoined or, you know, remanded to a local committee. You know, they're the. You know, that's you essentially. So people go go to the Maricopa County Recorder's website, for example, download the precinct map, Greater Phoenix, for example, or wherever you are, and that'll tell. That's where. That's the government. That's what matters. Doesn't matter. You're splitting airs. You got more. Well, you got more than me over here, and let's change the lines. That's another sign. People are misunderstanding <laughs> their role as as electors. 
Uh, right. Mr. Hess, are we at war? We talked about the war on drugs quickly. Are we, are we at war? We are at war. I, we, the people, are not at war. We're totally in a defensive posture. But our government is clearly at war with us. Uh, it, it is absolutely. Their power comes from how much they can squash the power of the people. And that would be and war. And they want more power. You, that, you, you know, politics draws some the sick birds, and, and once in a while you'll get the rare one who's just an honest person, like remember Ron Paul. Hmm. I've known Ron Paul for something close to 30 years. The man is exactly what he says he is, the most honest and intelligent man I have ever met in yeah. politics, bar none. Hmm. And only recently did they reveal that, yes, they stole the, the nomination from him. He won like 17 states. And all they did was hide it by taking the delegates or not counting the delegates. And that's why it doesn't matter if you don't happen to vote for the winner. Because just because right. what you hear is who you hear being the winner doesn't necessarily make it so. And actually, you know, possession is nine tenths of the law. So, you know, it comes, you know, there's nobody in charge and, and partisanry is has been derelicted by corporate, you know, interests. And really who's in charge are your people who are in your neighborhood. Pay attention. In that sense, that's really where the buck stops. It uh, is. Uh, you know, for, and, and so I, I still say very optimistic outlook in terms of, you know, educate oneself regarding the world around you, the political landscape. It's really not as bad as it is it is it is made to sound and it could be and yes there's danger there but the best defense regarding that is to be un, to understand the the role as a united states citizen that you play that i play that mr has plays that we all that we all are it's a very powerful position and under which you're in you know all of the all of the government agencies um that you know are you are incumbent as a citizen to all of those. They're at your service. They're not at, you know, you're not at theirs. It can't come and say, hey, hey, you know, it's like your, you know, like your dog trying to come say, hey, you know, I'm in charge here. There'll be dog food for dinner from here on. It's not how it works. And anytime anybody operates in violation of that kind of a priori principle that the citizenry are the incumbent and the citizenry individually. You know, provided you don't have any, you know, liens on you with respect to, you know, criminal behavior, mm -hmm. then you can just pretty much, you don't have to do any of it. You're left alone. And that's the nice thing about the Libertarian Party and, and uh, or, or the Libertarianism with a capital L and, have, you know, and we're all grateful that it, the Libertarians with a little L, you know, kind of incorporate and do business on the greater landscape and have to suffer maybe fools otherwise is that, then the message is, is that these are facts, and they're still protected. Even right now, even yesterday, if anybody was being kicked like a dog by government officials yesterday, it was illegal then, and it's illegal now, and it'll be illegal tomorrow. And mm -hmm. the only difference is whether you know that or not. And all you have to do is know it, and, and you can stand up and say, you better not do that again, buddy. And if they do, it's all over. Well, and, and if we're going to vote... You know, because I, I know so many people who just, and you, when you see this huge number, the majority of people who are eligible to register to vote don't. And for many of them, and I don't know what the number is, but for many of them, it's an absolute statement. They think they're making a statement that they don't want their hand in it, and somehow by not legitimizing it, they, the system, 
that they, they're making a statement saying, uh, then I can yell and scream about it. Well, yeah. if that's all they want to preserve, that's one thing. And I tell them, look, if you want to make a statement, the press, the media, because they're owned. I mean, Gannett owns Channel 12, AZ Central, and uh, what else, the Arizona Republic. They are so freaking biased, it's, it's not even funny. It's a rag. It's a, it's a, I don't even read it. Uh, ever since my bird died, I don't get it. Uh, I don't want it. And the interesting thing is, is if we're going to vote, we've got to vote responsibly. Forget what all these special interests say. And, we have, and as a responsible citizen, here should be the mandate that we have a responsibility to the next generation to preserve the only legacy that has any value whatsoever, and that is our individual liberty. That's the beauty of America. Right. Without that liberty, you have nothing. And even if you vote for all of the wrong people on purpose or accidentally, I mean, even just having done so, that gives you the right not to listen to whoever. Oh, I, I tell to people to go ahead and and I urge them, even all my friends who anarchists and they don't want anything to do just with it, I say register to vote and then vote NOTA on every single race if that's how you feel. That is an unmistakable statement that cannot be described as or written off as apathy, which is what the media always tries to do. And if the reporter's doing its job right, it'll see that. What I I would advise is write precinct committee in the right-end area. There you go. You know, and just put, you know, that's a vote of no confidence for all. It's the same effect, net effect as NOTA. And the recorder aren't to, you know, your recorder probably, you know, if you've got a, you know, that's a, your, your county recorder is an important person, should be. And Definitely. that's kind of another bright line mark. Either he or she does or doesn't understand what they're looking at, you know, because they'll understand a greater historical context. And they'll also understand and be able to give you a zillion examples of people who have taken office because of creative campaigning and then have been ineffective. And somebody else actually kind of has had to govern as the janitor of the public. Because the person who was on the ballot and won because of all the pomp and circumstance is incompetent and doesn't understand their position. Sometimes it's the, it's the recorder. <laughs> if you're Sometimes it is. I, I urge my supporters, you know, we've got to become the media. Repost articles every day on uh, Facebook and all your social media because that's where the, the tides are turning is the young people who have, you know, lost hope. That's why you see them out destroying their bodies and doing weird stuff and uh, risking their lives because they have been preached to their entire lives. Think about this. When, when we grew up, or at least when I grew up, we had hope for the future. We had grand schemes. We were going to go take on the world. But nowadays, kids are told that they are going to be paying the bill for what you and I are enjoying now before they get to do anything with their own money. Yeah, and by eliminating the income tax and the property tax, can you imagine the, that? That's like giving everybody a 35% raise right now without costing the employer a dime, actually save the employer money, but putting that money into the economy to determine which businesses are viable and worthwhile to the public, not to Obama and his cylindric nonsense, but to the public. What's, what's important to them, we will end this depression in a week. Well, and it is being stolen, and, and, and um, there's, it has no other value other than as, as an as a intellectual tool. Um, and uh, well, can, we can uh, pretty much end on that note. Uh, if any more questions, contact me. Contact Mr. Hess. Uh, the general election is on November 4, um, 
is it too late to register to vote? No, it's not. Okay, good. No, no, you can register right up to the last day. You have served but, now But don't hold off, and, and incidentally, please send me a link. I'm sorry, go ahead and say that again. S- send me a link to the podcast. Okay, I sure will. Also, um, I have here, uh, do you have any forthcoming appearances that you would like to tout? I have well, one, sure, I tonight I'm going to be at, the, at 7 o'clock, I'm going to be at the Thirsty Lion in Tempe, okay. uh, Arizona, over at ASU. And we've already got a huge crowd coming. Uh, they've already signed up for the Evites. That's uh, the Thirsty Lion in Tempe. And then I've got a full schedule. What's and we've the date, got, course, on, um, what's the date at the Thirsty Lion, uh, Mr. Hess? Pardon me? What's the date for the Thirsty Lion? Is that Tuesday or Wednesday? That is today, Th- Tuesday. Ten. Oh, okay. Well, um, I'll try Tuesday to the 2nd. I'll get it uploaded as soon as possible. Um, is there anything else forthcoming by before the end of the week that you want to whistle down? Uh, I don't have my schedule in front of me. I'm, right. I'm a pacer, and I'm out walking in my shop. All right, all right. All right. <laughs> I, I do the same thing. Um, and uh, I think better on my feet. Yeah. And, and uh, it's, no, we've, we've got a full schedule. We'll start populating after uh, 9-11 because we knew that you know, nobody's going to be paying any attention until after that because uh, they're all worried about some false flag attack or something. And uh, maybe we'll see it. Maybe we won't. But What's that's when we're really going to push on our efforts. What's your website, Barry? Hess4Governor.com. All spelled out. That's F-O-R uh, for governor. And uh, come on up. I, there's a, there's, it's a pretty comprehensive website. And the funny thing is, and I just get such a tickle out of it, because much of it was defined back in 2002. Nothing has changed. None of my positions have changed. <clears throat> Nothing has changed. And we're all still alive and intact. Uh, yeah, but now people are just working to pay bills rather than living life. Barry and has, I want to I see people live life. Barry has candidate for Arizona governor um, right now this year, two, 2014, uh, election coming up next month on November 4th. Thank you, Mr. Hess, for appearing on the show. Appreciate it very much, sir. I appreciate you having me. Thank you, Chris. Again, this edition of the Odalay Show is brought to you in part by in-kind support from the Pizza Noir series of fantasy noir crime fiction novels written by author Denver Day and available at www.denverday.com and through Penguin Random House affiliate Ex Libris Publishing, local bookstores, Amazon.com, and BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, also look for Barry Hess's most recent work of fiction, uh, long-form uh, book, uh, The Peacemonger, The Choice, uh, available at such places as Amazon.com. Again, thank you, listeners, for streaming or downloading the September 2nd, 2014 edition of The Odalay Show, uh, which you can f- find on Facebook at facebook.com slash Show, or in the podcast department at iTunes under Odalay with C.G. Brazewell or through the RSS syndicated feed at the Brazewell Communications website, www.fusepowder.com or at fusepowder.com slash WordPress. Uh, the phone number for the show is 480-409-1263. That's 480-409-1263. Follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash brazewell underscore chris. And also look for my next book, uh, nonfiction, titled Embedded Alive, First-Person Journalism in the United States of America, 2013 and 2014, which is due out in November through the publishing department of Brazewell Communications. <laughs>